Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. I think you got the story behind reason why I'm up here, <clears throat> but I need to tell you the rest of the story. Um, I got a text Friday morning from Pastor Raleigh saying, I don't feel so good. Okay. I'll get back with you later. You may have to speak. Okay. About 12, 1 o'clock, I get back with him. He goes, I'm down for the count. He says, you're going to have to take care of this. So with that in mind, I hope everybody here, when we finish, understands the word grace. <laughs> okay? Uh, Jeff's down here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I understand. So I'm just throwing it out there. So if everybody please turn to Matthew 1. It starts out, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Let's just have a little bit of a background here. If we go back to chapter 4, just go right over the end of chapter 4, 23 to 25, We'll talk about seeing the crowds. And when he went throughout all Galilee, teaching and in their synagogues, complaining the gospel and the kingdom and the healing, every healing, every disease and every affliction among the people. So the fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralegics, and those healing. And, and healed them. The great cloud, crowds, crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Can you imagine? Now we know why he's talking about that they went up into the mountain. Can you comprehend how many people were following them? Every person afflicted, every person that can help them get to Jesus there's people that's going to be there because they want to see a healing there's other people there because they actually trust in Christ so you're talking about thousands of people coming and following because this is the beginning of his ministry isn't it because before he was healing what certain people because it was sliding into his ministry what's he doing now Everybody that comes to him, he heals. Everybody. Doesn't make any difference to the background. It doesn't make any difference to what's going on. He heals everybody. So that's the reason why there's thousands of people following them at that time. And a little bit of background of Beatitudes. This section is called Beatitudes. This is the beginning of his uh, messages on the Sermon on the Mount. But this is to who? His disciples. This is teaching that some of it they're not going to understand until later on. It's their teaching and giving them a heads up of what to expect if they follow him. So this is what he's doing. And beatitudes, the meaning is blessing. Beatitude, the meaning is blessing. And blessed means 
the experience of hope and joy, the deepest form of happiness to follow Jesus no matter what it costs. So when they're talking about the blessed, because on, on verse 3, it starts out blessed. Another verse starts out blessed. Now, you've got to remember, these are people that know Christ. These are people that he's talking about. So in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you're thinking, okay, what's the poor in spirit? What's he really talking about here? He's talking about our spirit. We have no spiritual assets, do we? When we come into this world, after Adam did that original sin, there's nobody born in this world that's got spiritual assets. Nobody. So how do you get them? How do you get them? Part of how you get them is you finally get it, don't you? You finally get, you have no spiritual assets. You have nothing to offer. And the only way you can get that is through who? It's through Jesus Christ. And it finally gets here. Was that not with all of us? We had to get to that point before you really realized that up here that we really needed Christ because that was the only way that we were going to get a spiritual assets in our life. That's it. There wasn't any other way. And I think all of us that know Christ as our Savior have gotten to that point where we realize that, we understand that. And that's the only way that we can get there for our salvation. In verse 4, he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, what kind of mourning are we talking about? What do you mean mourn? Did we lose somebody? Did something happen? Did we lose a loved one? Okay, why are, why are we mourning? It says mourn means an, a, a tense, intense degree of mourning. A deep grief before God over our what? Fallen state. And I don't think any of us, if again, if you've experienced Christ, hasn't understood that. Again, that's another aspect that you have to understand before you can come to Christ. For you have that understanding of why I need to. And also it says mourning is a godly sorrow that produces repentance and salvation. I don't know about you, but for me, when I first come to know the Lord, I had that because I realized where I was at before I come to Christ. It was a grief, wasn't it? It was a sorrow because you knew where you was at in your state, how you was living your life, what you were doing. And, but that's good because now with that sorrow, it opens your eyes again to understand Christ. Um, let me find my paper. What do I do with it?
Okay, in Matthew 4, what we're talking about, I have a scripture. It's Corinthians 7.10. Corinthians 7.10. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Do you remember that when, when that happened? Did you have any regret, did you? Did anybody have a regret once they, become, once they knew Christ? No, we didn't. There was no regret. You know, you, you were happy, you were praising, and that morning was joy, wasn't it? It was joy. But there's no regrets once you finally make that decision for him. But lots of times when we think about mourning, we don't think about, we think about mourning far as, like I said before, a loved one or somebody. But again, this is spiritual mourning is what it is. Verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, that one I missed big time for years when it said meek. I really thought it meant meek. I mean, just go, oh, no, we can't, you know, we can't do this. I can't stand up. I can't do this and that. I missed that mark for a long time, unfortunately. But it doesn't say that at all, does it, when it talks about the meek? When it talks about the meek, the meek is a proper balance between anger, indifference, and humility, isn't it? As far as the meek is concerned, Christ was the biggest example for meek, wasn't he? But did you ever see anger? Do you remember anger? It's temple. When the money changers was in the temple, desecrating the house of God, he did what? In righteous anger, he did what? He asked him to leave. Hmm, wait a minute. I don't think he did that, did he? He turned over the tables. He literally kicked them out. He made a whip of some kind of reeds or something, whatever he had there, and he ran them out. And guess what? Nobody stopped him, did they? He ran him out. A righteous anger. And also, meek before men, in that you are strong, yet also humble, gentle, patient, and long-suffering. You notice the first thing he talked about was strong, wasn't it? You have to be strong. Was Jesus Christ not strong? He went to the cross for us. He was meek, wasn't he? But he went to the cross. So that strength that we see through Christ himself of this meekness. Again, if there was anybody that showed that type of meekness, that kind of strength, that type of humility, it was Christ himself. And normally... 
What is our example for everything? It is our Lord Jesus Christ. And I like how they say, for they shall inherit the earth. Of course, we all will, won't we? All the saints will. But for they shall inherit the earth, the meek will. It talks about in Psalms 37.11. You know, we think about this just being a New Testament thing. But Psalms 37.11 says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The meek, what does it say here? For they shall inherit the earth. You know, in the Old Testament, the New Testament. What's it saying? The same thing. I can see right now, I'm going to go through this pretty quick. I don't think anybody's going to be that upset. Because <laughs> somebody asked me, they go, well, how long is this going to last? I don't know. I said, it'll last however long as it lasts. I said, it could be over quick, or it could be a Pastor Raleigh. You know, I said, I don't know. You know, it's wherever the Spirit leads. Uh, sometimes you can get something out of something a little short, you know. As long as the Spirit's moving, you know, that's all it counts. So again, yeah, it's going to last however long we make it, however it is. In 6, it said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness for they shall be satisfied. What is this? It's to recognize that God is the ultimate source of real righteousness, isn't he? No other way, no other person. For they long for righteousness to be evident in people's lives on earth. Is that right? If you long for righteousness and hunger for righteousness, it'll show in your life, won't it? I'll guarantee you. Because if you go after that and you understand that, it's going to be a difference in your life if you hunger after righteousness. And that's a responding to his invitation to be in a relationship with him. That's really a relationship, isn't it? When you seek, when you want that relationship, when you hunger and thirst, that's a relationship, isn't it? That's going after something like like uh, relationships you've tried to have with other people. You go after it, don't you? You put effort towards it. Why should this be any different for us? This is what we have to do. This is righteousness' sake. And we should be going after that and pursuing that. Again, because it will make a, a difference in our lives if we spend that time and go after. In John 7, 30, 37... John 7, 37. said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, this is a little different because it says thirst. It's really meaning for salvation, isn't it? You come to me for salvation. This they're talking about as a Christian growing in righteousness. But I had to laugh because it says he cried out. Can you imagine the disciples? He yells this out, you know, and they're going, uh-oh, what's this all about, you know? 
people are scratching their heads. And you know, the people there, they're not understanding what he's saying at all. But again, he's teaching them that later on, after Christ is with the Father, yeah, they get it, don't they? All these things that he's teaching them now and all the things that he has said, they're going to get it. They're going to have an understanding of what he's saying. Lots of times they didn't have a clue. Let's face it, kind of clueless like us sometimes, huh? Not a clue. But sometimes then later on, all of a sudden a little light will come on. Oh, yeah, okay, I see that. I understand that. But I always kind of felt sorry for him. If, has anybody watched The Chosen? I only see a couple hands. Oh, seen a few more. I'm telling you. Get on YouTube and punch that in and watch it. It is tremendous. It shows how Christ... I really think it's as close to what Christ would have been like as possible. Since we don't really know 100%, but we know his teachings, we know his background. I'm just telling you, seriously, watch it. It will touch you. I didn't know I was going to throw that in. (laughs) But I'm telling you, it's really good and it will bless you. Because lots of times when you think about, oh, another one of these Christian shows, you know, they're really kind of kind of B minus at best, you know. This is not. This is all top shelf. This is all thought out, and it is a real blessing. And seven, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You're going, well, who's the merciful? Again, we're talking about people who already believe. Who are the merciful? They're the ones who have already received mercy from Christ. They've received it. They've gotten it. They have got mercy from Christ. The merciful will be forgiving to others. You know... I was debating on the Beatitudes or actually talking about forgiveness. But I didn't have, obviously, enough time. I had started this some, but the other one, I'd just gotten information together. Didn't have enough time to do that, but I'm going to. Forgiveness. It says, merciful, the merciful will be forgiving to others. That's something we're not real good at sometimes. So it says the merciful. Why? Why? Because God showed us mercy first for us, didn't he? And you mean to tell me we can't show mercy to some other people because of a situation? Think about it. Again, we'll talk about that later. He said be compassionate. That should just be part of it too, isn't it? To be compassionate. To show mercy is compassion. It is. And it says to show it to those who are poor and weak. Target Dayton, huh? 
other people in need, the hope team that help people out in need financially, spiritually. That's mercy. And I hope here at the church that we, people feel that that's shown. I hope here at the church people understand that and feel that that's what the church should be doing and hopefully that we are doing that. And I'm talking about for the people in the church and the people like the Hope Team that can help outside the church. Lots of times you don't see a lot of fruits from the Hope Team from that because you've helped them out financially, but the first thing you do is try to touch them spiritually. But you know, sometimes people think, well, I think some of them people are taking advantage of us. Yeah, probably so. But what did Christ say we should be doing? We should be doing that. It's up to that person how they handle it or what they do. And an example of mercy. Remember the story of King David and Saul. Twice David could have killed Saul because Saul was what? He was after the killing and he would have killed him if he got a hold of him. But what did David do? He showed mercy. Twice. Because he said, this is the man that that God has chosen, and I am not going to take his life, and showed mercy. And mercy is something that we all should have in our heart. It talks about, for mercy, James 2, 13. It says, for judgment is without mercy to one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. mercy that if you're not showing mercy I, you got to ask yourself have I really received mercy you really need to ask yourself that where are you really at with Christ if you're not being able to sh- if you're not able to show mercy at all because Christ gave it showed us our mercy We all know another story of mercy. Remember when the king, when the, some of the servants, some of the people had borrowed money from him. And they went to him. He goes, I'm going to collect. So the guy comes up and he says, oh, I can't pay you. I can't pay you. you know. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this in my wording. The dog ate all my money. I got a bad back. I'm like, I'm going to have to go on Social Security. You know, I just can't, I can't do this. So the king says, okay, I really feel sorry for you. I'm going to show you mercy. So he takes away the debt, and it was a boatload of money. So he takes away the debt. Two days later, this guy that was showed mercy sees a guy that owes him two bucks. He didn't have it. So back in those days, you can have somebody thrown in jail if they owed you money. Matter of fact, the king on the guy that he, re- he took away the big debt could have put him in jail, sold all of his property, sold his wife and his kids to pay back the debt. So that's how big a deal this thing was. So the guy that was shown mercy sees the guy that owes him two bucks. 
He can't pay it. He has him thrown in jail. Well, it gets back to the guy, the king that just took away this great big humongous debt. He gets back to him. Well, you know, he's going, come here, boy. Come here, I got to talk to you. So guess what happens? You showed no mercy where I showed you mercy and put him in jail. So think about it. If we've been showed that mercy, we need to continue on and pass that mercy on. Verse 8. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It says pure in heart. In the Greek, it says honesty and clarity. It says a single undivided heart, their devotion and commitment to God. Now in James, remember it talks about being double-minded. You can't be here. You can't be in the world. You can't be serving God. You have to be single-minded. This is pretty much saying the same thing, isn't it? It says single undivided heart. Their devotion and commitment to God. That's a pure in heart for that understanding and that direction to being committed to God. For it says, for they shall see God. And the pure in heart person can see. I hear this, see. And I think we'll all agree with this. A pure in heart person can see God in nature. Anybody ever seen that? I have. I think most of us have. It's been some day you woke up and you've seen something or seen nature or seen something. You go, oh, my land, praise God. Look at that. It's just perfect. How somebody can tell me that accidentally happened just by accident. Really? Really? Can you see that? Can you understand that? And you're telling me it was by accident? No. No. You can see God in nature. See, God in Scripture, you have pure heart. Have you ever read a Scripture? Didn't mean that much to you. And then you went back later on, you go, oh, that's what that means. You know, I didn't really see that. I didn't really understand that. That you see God in Scripture. And you're thinking, well, that's kind of silly. Of course you're going to see God in Scripture. No, no, no. We're talking about an understanding of Scripture, to be able to understand it, to see clarity, and to see it. And the pure in heart has that edge to understand the Scripture. And it says, God in your church family. We better hope so, huh? God in our church family, the pure in heart, to see God. Again, some of the things we just mentioned. I hope everyone here sees God in this church, that sees mercy in this church, that sees hope in this church, that sees forgiveness in this church. I hope everybody does. Because the pure in heart sees that in the church. Again, it has to be there before you can see it. So I hope 
everybody feels that way. And again, that's what the church should be doing. Verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know, when I saw that, I went, whoa. He didn't say you'll be with God or you'll understand. He actually calls them sons of God. Gee, you don't see that too often, do you? So we're talking about the peacemakers. And I think the peacemakers we're talking about in the church with the context of what you're talking about. I believe it says it's in the church community, the peacemaker is. Now, granted, a person that is a peacemaker can be that way in, in everything in life. But I think in this particular point in time, it says, blessed, talking about a believer, are the peacemakers, for they shall be, be called the sons of God. And it says, for they shall be called the sons of God because they share God's passion for peace and reconciliation in the church. You know, we talk about reconciliation. What do we mean by reconciliation? We mean somebody that's drifted from the church, somebody that needs help spiritually, that you bring them back. You don't condemn them. You bring them back to God's house. If they've fallen, something's happened, it's reconciliation. You're bringing them home. And that's what a peacemaker does. In James 3, 17 and 18. Now, this really, when I looked it up, just had verse 18. But I like 17 too. (laughs) But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere, are the harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. You know, it talks about, but the wisdom from above You know, in Scripture, it talks about that's what we should be doing, isn't it? We should be praying for wisdom, praying for direction, praying for guidance. But for wisdom, you know, people go, well, you know, Lord will just take care of it. Have you really prayed about it and prayed for wisdom, prayed for understanding? No, the Lord will take care of it. Mm. Okay. Maybe it'd be real good because the Word says there's wisdom Pray for wisdom. Pray for guidance. But the peacemakers, look at all the things they're talking about. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Ooh, that's a good one. Open to reason. Full of mercy and good fruits. You all know what good fruits is. Fruits of the Spirit, you know. And they're talking about full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now I can understand why they're really called the sons of God. If you have that retribute in your, in your system, that you have that in your heart, you have that 
in your, in your faith that you can bring that across to try to bring peace among the fellow believers? Praise God. You know, not, not everybody can have that. You know, even though we all need to pursue it, but that's almost one of those things, it's a, it's a gift to have that. Now we're getting into the part in verse 10 of where Jesus is teaching them and telling them that, you know, this thing going to be easy. He's giving them a heads up, isn't he? You know, he's teaching them. He's talking about the things that we've just talked about with meekness and peacekeepers and all this stuff for them to have, a, have an understanding of that. And again, it'll become more clear later on. But this is real clear right now. In verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And when it says persecuted for righteousness' sake, in other words, what's it mean? It means you're standing up for Christ, isn't it? That's what you're doing. For righteousness' sake. All you're doing is standing up for our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's going to happen to you. And like how blessed are those who are persecuted. Didn't specifically say them, but he said those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And that's what these men are doing, aren't they? That's what they're being trained for. I notice. Like you said, they're not getting persecuted for other things. They're getting persecuted for following Christ and being with Christ and continuing to have faith in Christ and standing up for Christ. You know, you don't get persecuted if you don't say nothing, huh? You just keep your mouth shut, go on. Yeah, there's no persecution in that. But if you make a stand for Christ, you make a stand. Now, we don't see, we'll never see persecution like what these people were talking about. And I praise God I live in a country that I live in. There are persecutions. There'll be things happening in your life. But not to where you're talking about losing your life. And there's some places in this world, there are fellow believers that are losing their life for the name of Jesus Christ. We don't experience it here. But to stand up for Christ, in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Now, now this is important. Falsely on my account. Falsely on my account. And when we're talking about revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you, at this point in time, they're basically talking about words, aren't they? They're trying to destroy you with words. They're trying to destroy you with falsities, lies. They're trying to do that. Um, Basically showing the power of the word to destroy you. Let's, Let's face it, the power of the word is what started Christ's crucifixion, wasn't it? The mumbling, the crowds, the Pharisees starting to say, what? False things, huh? They lied. 
That's how it got started. And what did it go into? You think back in history of rulers saying false things about certain people, certain situations, of how it sways people to do things. And that's what they're talking about here. But they're talking about mainly that you have to have to understand that because people are going to persecute you. Again, if you make that stand for Christ, there's false things going to be said about you. This is going to happen. And again, this isn't saying, eh, this might happen, maybe. No. He's telling them right up front, this is going to happen. It says, blessed are you when others revile you. We don't see that as a blessing too much, though, do we? You know, sometimes it doesn't come across that way too much, does it? In verse 12, it says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now he's pretty much talking to them, huh? These were all Jewish men. They understood Scripture. They understood the Old Testament. They understood that there were prophets that were killed for God. They understood all that. They knew. They knew. Because when they said they were persecuted, persecuted prophets, they know they were persecuted, and they knew what happened to a lot of those prophets. So again, he's not pulling any punches, is he? He's trying to explain to them what to expect and what will happen, not maybe if it will happen. But I thought it was interesting. In this part, when it says rejoice, the meaning of it, it says leap for joy. Wait a minute. You just got to, you're saying right after that that we're going to be persecuted. Some of us will probably be killed and we'll be going under this persecution. No, what did he say? He said leap for joy because your persecution has been because of me and there will be great rewards for you in heaven for this sometimes that's kind of hard to accept in looking down the road I'm going to get that reward down here I'm living right now no he's telling the great rewards when you endure this when you're able to take this for me for the gospel there's going to be great rewards for you in heaven But rejoice wouldn't be quite the quite things I'd be thinking of at that particular point in time, though. But Raleigh lots of times has a takeaway. You know, I don't, I don't have enough. I don't think about all that kind of stuff, <laughs> especially when I'm getting called on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> but I got a takeaway. We've talked about what? We've talked about the meek. We've talked about hunger and thirst for righteousness. Being merciful. A peacemaker. Pure in heart. And to rejoice under persecution. We've talked about all that, haven't we? But what does that look like to you? 
They're saying, well, if you do this, you're going to be in heaven. If you do that, be in heaven. No. That's the Christian life, isn't it? That's what that is. Are we going to be able to be perfect in all these different areas? As long as we're in this body, I can tell you right now, no. But what is our responsibility as believers in Christ? It's our desire. It's our responsibility to desire every one of these points. Maybe not so much about the persecution, but everything else. That is our desire. That should be our desire as Christians. And some people, like certain areas in life, they will be able to get the meek stuff down. Man, I'm not so good at being merciful. Well, you know, as long as you have that desire and you go after it and you try, because the Lord will bless you. He'll work on you. I guarantee you that. If you truly desire an area that you're really fighting with, I'll guarantee you he'll help you. He'll, he'll, he'll open your eyes and, and try to help you on that. So, I'm going to take a picture of the clock and send it to Raleigh. <laughs> but I hope, as we've talked about this, and I hope that for us right now, these things we've talked about, the apostles, the apostles right then, probably didn't get much of this, but we do, huh? Our only thing is we have to, to press it, to work on it, to put it in our hearts. And today, hopefully the Holy Spirit has worked. What I've said, you know, doesn't do nothing but the Holy Spirit does and so if there's anybody here that the Spirit is tugging at them really tugging at them going you know I'd love to make a decision but you know I'm not quite sure how to do it or what to do or I need prayer or something over in the connect corner right over there there'll be somebody after this service if you're wanting to make a decision for Christ if you're wanting, you need help in any area, if you're not quite sure in some areas that you're fighting with, there'll be somebody over there to help you. Because again, we're a family. And that's what family does. Let's go to prayer. Lord, again, we want to thank you for this particular point in time that we've been able to come into your house, that our hearts and minds be open that we continue to work for you, that we hunger and thirst for your righteousness, that you guide and direct us through this week. And again, if anyone here is the Holy Spirit's moving upon them, that they please talk to somebody today. You ask us to guide and direct us through this week, keep a hand of safety upon our families and bring us back again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.